You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Today's Global IQ Minute is with Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Nominated to the court in 1994 by President Bill Clinton, Justice Breyer is the author of several books. His most recent, The Court in the World, published last year, is now available in paperback just in time for Christmas. Welcome, Your Honor. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. What was the motivation for writing your book now, and who is the intended audience? I wanted to show people now the couple of things. Uh, one, of course, I'm always writing to try to explain to people, particularly younger people, particularly law students or college students or high school students, how does our court work? It's not the CIA. You know, there's a, not a big secrecy about it, but by learning how we work, by learning how we make our decisions, by learning the nature of the cases in front of us, I think these students can learn a little bit more about the Constitution, which they need to know. Ask people in public life, what's the biggest problem facing the country? I think they'll say it's a, a lack of understanding uh, among younger generations of what we used to call 12th grade civics. How does the city work? What's a legislature? What's a city councilman? What does the mayor do? What does the governor do? And, and, and what does the president and the Congress and the Supreme Court, what do they do and how can you affect them? What's your role compared to them? What's the country about? You mentioned a challenge and another challenge is certainly terrorism and the threat of terrorism. How do you strike a reasonable balance now between liberty and security? <laughs> that is a very good question which has no definite answer at this moment. Proceed slowly. If you go back 2,000 years, you'll find that Cicero told the Romans that in time of war, the laws fall silent. And that was a philosophy that was followed for thousands of years, including in this country, including by Abraham Lincoln, who did put a lot of people in jail who weren't even Confederate sympathizers. And after the war, the court freed some, but that was after the war. In World War II, the governor of the United States, President Roosevelt and the others put 70,000 American citizens of Japanese origin in camps. And as it turns out, for no reason at all. And why? Because our court said, well, someone has to run the war. That made sense. Roosevelt or us, we can't. So he must. That's Cicero. But the result of Cicero is 70,000 Americans spending several years in prison camps for no reason. So uh, by the time we get to the Guantanamo cases, four people held in Guantanamo, among the many others, four people brought lawsuits. They weren't among the most popular in the country. Bin Laden's chauffeur is not a very popular person in the United States of America. But they sued the most powerful people, the president and the secretary of defense, and they said Congress has passed a law saying we cannot use American courts, but we think that law is unconstitutional. The court said, you're right, and you're right. Well, here we have the court interfering. Why? Because, says Sandra O'Connor in that opinion, which I join, the Constitution does not write a blank check to the president, not even in time of war. Fine. Now you're asking the question the opinion didn't answer. If it doesn't write a blank check, what kind of a check does it write? There we are. Everyone criticizes our opinion. Some say we shouldn't have said the president can't do this or that or Congress. That's Cicero. And that's 70,000 Japanese for no reason being held for several years in prison camps. 
You want that? And others say, well, you aren't very specific. You're just giving me generalities. I want to know specifically what can be done and what can't be done. And the reason that we cannot answer, or I can't answer that question, is I don't know. I don't know. You talk is in the it, book about it, America being still an American experiment. Yeah. That's really what you're saying, isn't it? We have to adapt or be flexible? I'm saying that in this area, as in other areas, we'll learn slowly over time. And the way that we learn through briefs and discussions and so forth, in part, is learning what other countries do. And so you proceed. That was the genius of the common law. Proceed slowly, step by step. Be careful of going too far, too fast, or the world will come back and hit you in the face. <laughs> and that is a problem. That's why you get the approach you got in the Guantanamo cases. And that's why I say we have to learn. And we learn case by case, including from what other countries with similar problems do. And we don't copy them. We learn from them. That's different. You don't necessarily follow them, but you learn. Yesterday, December 12th, you issued what the New York Times described as an unusual dissent, which highlighted your consistent position regarding the death penalty. What is the core of your argument? Whether the death penalty itself is constitutional. I didn't take a view, I didn't, but it's, it leans in the direction of, of unconstitutionality because it says we should reconsider that. Now, the, the heart of that is that the death penalty is actually practiced today is random. For example, I think if you go back to the late 90s, you'll see the number of executions was close to 100. This year, it's down to about 19. Well, are those 19 the worst of the worst? There is no indication they are. Rather, they are a random group. What Justice Potter Stewart said, it's like lightning striking. So I say, well, how does it help to have lightning strike? 20 people out of perhaps many hundreds who are certainly not good people, and they've done terrible things. But the ones we execute are 20 taken at random, perhaps on the basis of prosecutorial desire or geography or race even could play a role. And that is not a legal system. That is a random system. The person had been on death row for 40 years. I said, how does that help? How does that help the victims? What is it that that vindicates 40 years? Is that going to be a, a deterrent? Doesn't see, there's a lot of evidence, but it doesn't seem too likely. Is that what? Is it uh, revenge or, or just deserts after 40 years? I mean, well, this is all spelled out, the, the randomness, the length of time, of the fact that a huge percentage of people who were sentenced to death will never be executed. I know that you try to stay or do stay away from political topics, so let me approach it this way. Why has the Supreme Court, despite such different judicial philosophies, been able to work together so harmoniously? Well, we make an effort. I mean, it's not always harmonious. I'd say 50% of the cases are unanimous. That's true. 20% are 5-4. Not always the same five, same four. They're tough cases. We take a case because good judges in the lower courts have come to different conclusions on the same question. But what you read in the newspaper are the cases that people want to read about. So they're the hot button cases, not necessarily the most important. And they give the impression that we're divided all over the place. We're not. We're not. We make an effort to get together and sometimes we just cannot agree. Always civil. I have never heard in that room uh, a voice raised in anger in the conference room. I have never heard in the conference room 
one person say something slighting or rude about some other person, not even as a joke. It's very professional. We discuss what we think. We listen to what the other person thinks. Go around in order. Nobody speaks twice till everybody's spoken once. And then some back and forth, focusing on what the others have said with the hope that maybe uh, you'll be persuaded a little, they'll be persuaded a little, and we don't always reach a consensus, but we try. Before we close, tell us about the conversation you had with the president of Ghana. Oh, my goodness. I like that very much. She's the president of the Supreme Court of Ghana. Okay. And she's making an effort to improve that court system, more emphasis on democracy, protection of human rights, etc. So we're talking about our Constitution. She says, why do people do what you say? Oh, that's a pretty good question. What's in that document that makes them do what you tell them? You're only nine people. Yeah, I said, that's right. I said, I can't answer. It is a great document, but it isn't just the document. It's the history of the United States. I mean, Andrew Jackson in the 1830s, I guess, when the court and John Marshall said that northern Georgia belongs to the Cherokee Indians, which it did, he said, John Marshall made his decision, now let him enforce it. And he sent troops not to enforce the decision, to drive the Indians out. And he did. They went along the Trail of Tears, and they ended up in Oklahoma, north of here. <laughs> and uh, that's where their descendants live to this day. And you roll them the track forward and you get to a civil war, you get to Brown versus Board, 80 years, you know, of segregation in the United States and Brown versus Board said, no, you can't do it. And you know what happened the year after? They decided that, the court in 1954, I can tell you in one word, the next year what happened was nothing. And the year after that was nothing. And in 1957, a judge in Little Rock said, you've got to integrate Central High School. And the Little Rock Nine, brave kids, Really. And they walked into that high school. They tried, but Governor Favos was standing in the schoolhouse door and said, no. Mm -hmm. And it's a picture, Elizabeth Eckford, black girl, <coughs> books, white girl behind her, face contorted with rage at the thought of segregation ending. You see? Now, President Eisenhower spoke to Governor Favos. He said, all right, I'll integrate Central High School. He told the press he wouldn't. Eisenhower was pretty angry. He got advice from uh, Jimmy Burns, the governor of South Carolina, that if you try to use force to integrate the South, you had better be prepared for a second reconstruction. You'd better be prepared to reoccupy the whole place. Are you ready for that? They'll close the schools and nobody will be educated. But his counselor, Herbert Brownell, said, you've got to do it. Rule of law. That's what's at stake. And Eisenhower sent 101st Airborne Division a thousand of them, everyone in 57 knew who they were. They were the heroes of the Battle of the Bulge. They had parachuted into Normandy, got hung up on the church steeples and shot down. They were heroes. Uh, they flew into Little Rock and they took those children by the hand and they walked them into that school. Great, great victory for the rule of law for the United States of America. But a few months later, a new school board tried to throw them out. That's the case that went up to the Supreme Court again, Cooper versus Aaron, and nine judges said, you can't do that, you have to integrate. Fine, nine, could have been 90, could have been 9,000. What Favos did is he closed the schools. Everyone, no one, read the history of that year. Nobody got educated. Hmm. Wow. But the die was cast. The die was cast, it was too late. There was Martin Luther King, there were the bus boycotts, there were the Freedom Riders, people all over the country 
got interested and they came down and they, they brought about uh, slowly but definitely an end to legalized segregation. The problem still hasn't gone away, but it's gotten better. Who were those people? They weren't lawyers. I mean, some were. They were ordinary people. So you want a rule of law in Ghana? Follow these examples. Look at them. Loads of ups and downs. Lots of time. All kinds of things. But the people who ultimately have to be convinced are not the judges. They already believe it. Not the lawyers. They're on board. But go to the villages. Those are the ones that have to be convinced. That have to be convinced that it's worthwhile following a law or a rule or a judicial ruling even when you disagree with it. Even when you think it's terrible. Even when you think it's wrong. And by the way, it might be wrong. It might be. After all, five to four, somebody's wrong. And consider the alternative. That's correct. That's the theme throughout. Consider the alternative. You want to know what the alternative is? You turn on the TV and you see other countries sometimes working out ways of resolving their problems not so attractive. Thank you so much. Justice Stephen Breyer has been our guest today on Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. His book, The Court and the World, is now available in paperback. It's a book that members of the World Affairs Councils across the country will enjoy reading. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org.